And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. New Vancast for you. After the Canucks defeat the Toronto Maple Leafs 6-3, back-to-back wins coming out of COVID. And Tom, no shortage of storylines here. I want to talk about the game itself, but then we have no choice. We have to talk about what this means in the bigger picture. You wrote about it after last night's game. And goaltending was a massive factor, as it was on Sunday. Braden Holpe was terrific Sunday. He didn't have to be as good. He was busy again. But the Canucks benefited from the bounces. Uh, David Redditch was terrible in the third period. The Canucks got a great bounce, too, on that Brandon Sutter goal. Uh, yep. The one that came off the side of the net, back out in front. And Quinn Hughes yeah, that was a, a strange bounce. Yeah, Quinn Hughes with a deflection off Mitch Marner and in. So, yep. look, the Canucks got some bounces. That's uh, part of all this. But ultimately, you know, that the shorthanded goal the Leafs scored to make it 3-2, to two, that should have been the dagger. And on a lot of nights for a lot of teams... Like, you're packing it in after that. Like, it's not your no night. Question. It's not happening. And it was Keystone Cops, the whole bit. And so credit to the Canucks. Like, both of these games against the Leafs here coming out of COVID, they've trailed at some point in the third period. And the third period is where I had concern for them. Like, I thought that's where, you know, their fatigue levels would ultimately be tested. And sure enough, aided by some horrendous goaltending last night, uh, the Canucks found a way. So full credit to them. Two for two coming out of this COVID where I, I kind of thought with 19 games to go, five wins might kind of be the number that I had pegged for the Vancouver Canucks, not knowing the impact of the virus and everything else. And here they are, two for two. Can't do a whole lot better than that. So uh, certainly you got to give this hockey club some credit for uh, for manning up and getting the job done. 100%. And, and Braden Holpe especially, right? Braden Holpe deserves a ton of credit because... While Jack Campbell and David Riddick sort of had some yips in the last two games, Braden Holpe was outstanding, right? Like enough that I think he's flipped the narrative a little bit on this season. Uh, 
you know, not not entirely. I'm, I'm not I'm not saying anyone's looking at that contract and being like tidy bit of business, but but you know, I think the overall impact of those two games and what it could mean for the Canucks down the stretch, especially as they have a ton of back-to-backs still, right? I, I mean, I do think he's now at least given himself a chance to finish strong and cement himself in the minds of Canucks fans as a, a fine option anyway, in the event that the Seattle Kraken don't select him in the expansion draft. So, you, you know, you, you got to like the way he played. Stop 22 of 24 high-danger shots the Leafs sent the Canucks way. And the Leafs generated a ton over the course of those two games, like a ton. And... Hope he was up to the task consistently. He he gave the Canucks their chance, and then you know that Niels Hoaglander seeing eye, like <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I I still don't know how that beat Riddick, right? Like I still can't tell you, and I, I I don't mean I don't know how that beat Riddick as criticism of the goalie. Like I literally don't know where on his anatomy <laughs> that beat him. You know, I don't, I cannot tell you what hole that slipped through. And then obviously the Tanner Pearson goal. I mean, that wasn't even going to be a shot on net, I don't think, in the event that Riddick didn't deflect it past himself. But yeah, I mean, that's hockey sometimes. The Canucks were sledding downhill. They got two wins. And look, this wasn't outrageous. When when Harmon and I did that piece sort of looking at how teams fare and how they struggle often in returning from COVID, one, one factor we noted was... You know, sometimes after a long layoff, teams start out really strong. There's a lot of adrenaline. They look focused. They, they, they aren't rested in a normal way, but, you know, they're, they're carried in the same way that like Antoine Roussel. Remember he had four goals in his first three games or whatever when he returned from knee surgery last season? Yeah. Or a player who's coming up from the minors, right? They'll often have a really big performance and then sort of find their level. It's, it's tough to sustain the type of off-puck energy, the type of you know, a- adrenaline-driven performances that teams, players, you know, um, minor league guys who are called up sort of can manage right out the gate. So we'll have to watch for that. I mean, I don't know that your five number's necessarily wrong yet, right? Like, I expected the Canucks to be better early than I will once the density of the schedule really gets grindy here in the days and weeks ahead. So... You know, we'll, we'll see here, but they've given themselves a pretty significant shot here, especially with four straight against Ottawa coming up. Yeah, you know, it's funny when I think back to the way they went into their, what we thought was just going to be a week off, and then obviously right. COVID ravaged them and, and took them down for the count. But if you think back to those two Winnipeg games at home where they got outscored 9-1, to and the one was Hoaglander late in the second game. They'd been shut out in the first game. Right. And it was a snack goal. And it, and it, yeah, and it, and it just, the mood around the team then was, yes, they are done. You know, they don't play for a week here, sell. Um, and remember too that the Winnipeg games came on the heels of the split in Montreal with the two games that went beyond regulation time and a push against the Habs didn't do them any favors either back then. And mm-hmm. so those games combined with the Winnipeg games and then a week off, and the idea of the playoffs was ludicrous. And yet here we are. Uh, you know, I didn't factor a Montreal free fall into any of this. So no, not, not, not this dramatic anyway. Right. And Brennan Gallagher hurt and now Carey Price is out. And so Montreal is tumbling. There's no doubt. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about the playoff race in a sec. I just want to go back to the game though, before we're, we're done here, because there were a couple of things like, 
they're doing this without Elias Patterson too, which has almost been swept under the rug, which is crazy to think about. But they're nine three and one in thirteen games now without their best forward, and so that's a, a big part of this story. But also the fact that Travis Green, who himself was impacted so heavily and drastically by COVID, you know, he's back behind the bench, but he doesn't have Newell Brown there. So you can't say that the Canucks are out of the woods, even though yesterday Travis was sort of like, yeah, COVID's behind us. Uh, There's no way. Like, they're going to be linked to this virus all season long. I understand what he's talking about and the mindset in that locker room and when the puck is dropped and all that kind of stuff. But he's without his chief right-hand man who runs the power play and running the forward group. So they're still being impacted. Tyler Mott hasn't returned. Thatcher Demko has yet to play, even though he backed up. And so, you know, here's Travis Green. He's got his core group of veteran forwards that he can lean on. But he's also trying to experiment and integrate a whole bunch of new faces into this lineup and figure out what exactly he does have to work with. And through two games, you know, again, they've they've won them both while they're sort of we're, we're witness to this social experiment of a complete overhaul of the bottom six in the forward group. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> I mean, and and that third defensive pair, right, which was adventurous yeah. often uh, in, you know, both games, frankly, but especially, I think, in the second Leafs game where any time they were out against, especially that Tavares-Nylander line, right, that was um, dicey, to say to say the least. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I look, I thought Matthew Highmore played well. He showed some energy. Uh, anyone, though, who's like, oh, Matthew Highmore, he's like Adam Gaudet with a higher work rate. It's like, come on, Gaudet's work rate was never in question, was it? Surely. Surely. Anyway, I liked Timor's game. I thought he played well. I thought that was a nice debut for him. Uh, you know, I, I thought we also saw some of the limitations in his game, certainly in that first period when he when he didn't hit Jake Vertanen for what should have been a breakaway, uh, like right early in the right. game. Yeah. But, but you know, I think nonetheless, he played well. He, he went to the net hard. That, I mean, that was a useful game for him. And he, he clearly brought some additional speed into the Canucks bottom six, something this club is desperate for. You know, I look, there was a lot of guys who had good games, I thought, overall. And and more than anything, I thought Vancouver's Vancouver gave up a ton of chances, but they weren't it wasn't game 5 or 7 against Vegas in the bubble on Tuesday night against Toronto. It was, however, on Sunday night. <laughs> like they were they were better on Tuesday in terms of you know, not just surrendering five alarm chances after five alarm chance every shift. Um, but, you know, I, and I, look, I thought the defensive effort was clearly there, even if Toronto was also clearly the better team on balance in terms of their form outside of the goaltender. Uh, so, yeah, no, I look, I liked all, I liked a lot of players games. I liked Brock Besser's game. Um, and obviously, Bo Horvat's played really well, uh, as he often does. So, no, that look, this Canucks team, this Canucks teams without Pedersen, just coming back from a brutal Ill- illness, right? Just a brutal illness that racked almost the entire team. Certainly the majority of the coaching staff. I definitely don't think it's fair to say. Like, they don't have Mott. Thatcher Demko hasn't started yet, right? Like, the impact of this virus is clearly still lingering and will, I think, throughout the season. Like, I don't think that's a story. I think that's an ongoing story. I, I certainly am not going to move past it in terms of its impact. And... You know, I'm, I, anyone who's suggesting that, like, immediately the media has pivoted from, like, oh, these guys, they shouldn't play again this season to playoffs. Like, no, that's not what's going on. It's it's tracking how remarkable, how remarkable it is, excuse me, that the Canucks 
advanced their playoff odds so significantly while not playing. Like, that's a remarkable story that needs to be noted. It's not about shifting gears emotionally because of two wins against the Maple Leafs. Like, that's not what this is. But, you know, look, they played well. The the energy level's been there. I'm just curious to see if it can be sustained. Like, I think these games against Ottawa are going to be tough, especially because there's that cross-country flight in the middle of them, right? And, and, And thereafter, the schedule gets really grim in terms of back-to-backs and density. Uh, the Canucks are getting eased into it a little bit. I think that's been beneficial. Uh, clearly, that was important to the players when they protested the original plan, the the 5-7 and seven to start. Uh, but, you know, this is going to be... there. That 5-7 and seven is coming. And my question is, how does this team fare considering what they've been through when they get into the weeds of that type of grind? Yeah, the 5-7 and seven is coming, followed by... Another five and seven. Like right, if you look exactly. at the month, if you look at the month of May. Uh, again, just because the league was running out of dates to schedule them, the Canucks have twelve games scheduled for the first nineteen nights in the month of May. I mean, that's just right. what the schedule is. So it truly is five and seven, followed by another five and seven, and then oh yeah, throw in a couple more just for for good measure. Right. So the, the schedule and they're going to need every inch of those games. Right. And this is what drove me nuts last night, and I tweeted about it because. Like, I had idiots coming at me online saying, see, this virus clearly isn't that big a deal. Like, the Canucks are winning. You guys are making this out to me. Like, people are using this, these two wins, to try to support their evidence that COVID doesn't exist or isn't a big deal. Yeah, that's ridiculous. First of all, first of all, these guys are professional athletes, right? Like, of course, you'd expect them to bounce back. But these guys heal. They play through insane injuries. Their stamina, their recovery, that top top percent of a percent, right? Like we're talking about 99.9th percentile um, human performers, right? So, of course, they're going to bounce back a little quicker. And even with that, there's multiple players still not able to play, right? 20 days, three weeks after contracting the illness. Um, there's the fact that their families all got it. There's the way that it's spread at their workplace. And... And there's the fact that this is going to continue to be a story and, and continue to be an issue and one that does probably have some significant effects on them as the schedule gets denser and as the demands in terms of that stamina get even higher, you know, multiple games over a very condensed period of time into this schedule. So, you know, for me anyway, this entire episode should do nothing but underline the risks and anyone saying otherwise is out to fucking lunch, JPAT. I hear you. And that's why I said, like, I just couldn't believe, like, and it wasn't one or two. Like, I was getting multiple people that seemed to be wanting to go down that road. And we've illustrated that the Canucks are not completely healthy yet because of what they've gone through. Those here. people will take any excuse, though. I suppose. Right? You know, I like, suppose. those people will take any excuse. Um, Whatever. They're wrong. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, so the Canucks are two for two coming out of the break here. At some point, they will get Tyler Mott back. Antoine Roussel, we'll have to wait and see. It's an off day on Wednesday as we record this, but that didn't look good 
for Antoine Roussel, same knee that uh, he had surgically repaired a couple of seasons ago. He got tangled up with Mitch Marner in the neutral zone. So you hope for the best for Antoine Roussel. But if he can't go, the Canucks do have Tyler Mott waiting in the wings at some point here. And you would think that he gets back in there and... You know, Thatcher Demko has yet to play. Like, if Thatcher Demko can recapture his form and Braden Holpe is showing signs that he's had this rebirth, like, all of a sudden, the Canucks goaltending stacks up with just about anybody in this division, if not the National Hockey League. So, you know, that's an edge for the Canucks because Carey Price is out in Montreal. Uh, we know that uh, Jacob Markstrom's first season in Calgary hasn't gone as planned. I, I think the Flames aren't even in the conversation, even though they're still technically they're ahead of the Vancouver Canucks by points. Uh, they only have 11 games left, though. Like, yeah, they just, right. they're running out of room here. Like, I, I really think but, that. But they have seven of those 11 against Vancouver and Montreal. Right. right. So, so they, they're, they in, can be they're a, in a they, spoiler spot. More they than can any. be a factor. They will be a factor. But they need uh, to run the table to have any shot. Any shot. And I just don't see that happening. You no, know, we talk either. about teams running the table. Like, this is the danger for the Canucks. These you know two what? Win- I, sorry. Can I, can I quickly jump in? I want to just yep. explain one thing, which is sure. that um, quietly, Quietly, the Daryl Sutter experiment is off to an excellent process start in Calgary. Very quietly, because the losses, the results have been abysmal. I mean, they're out of it because of, you know, various streaks that they've had under Sutter's watch since the change. But, you know, while Sutter's been calling out the fitness and compete and professionalism of his team, they've also been an elite team all of a sudden, out of nowhere. They haven't been all season, but they've all of a sudden been an elite team in terms of the underlying numbers. They've been sabotaged completely. By an inability to score, which is classic Daryl Sutter team shit, right? And the fact that their goaltending hasn't been good. And I, for me, that's Jeff Ward's legacy, right? Like he, he burnt Markstrom out in the first part of the season. But all of a sudden, the Flames are posting like vintage LA Kings type underlying numbers. And so it's not going to matter for this season. But in terms of how difficult those four games against the Flames might be for Vancouver how difficult those three games might be for Montreal. Like, watch out. Like, this Flames team is slowly metamorphosizing into a, a classic Daryl Sutter team, and a classic Daryl Sutter team is not an easy out. Like, this is a weird thing that they're undergoing. Right. So, with that as context, like, look, it's been fun. These first two games, it's been good to have hockey back, the effort level. Ultimately, the results for the Vancouver Canucks have sort of shaped this conversation now where they're eight back, but they've got four games in hand. You know, this looks doable. And it is. It, it is doable, but it's also still a really steep hill for the Canucks. Yes. Like, I, I just don't want people to kind of get giddy with back-to-back wins over the Leafs and, and think, all right, like now you got the Senators coming in for four. Look, the Senators are going to put up a fight too. And the Canucks saw that the last time they saw them in Ottawa. Like, they had to go beyond regulation. Twice Ottawa came back in the third period. And those, like, they didn't go quietly. They certainly didn't roll over. No. This Senators team now is not the Senators team that the Canucks crushed back in January that didn't look like it belonged in the National Hockey League. Like, they're playing better. They're playing harder. Their young players have 30 games under their belts that they didn't back then. And so, yes, on the schedule, the worst team in the National Hockey League is up next for four straight against the Vancouver Canucks. Like, what more could you ask? And yet, based on the way Ottawa's played here recently, and the way that Ottawa's played against a lot of other teams beside the Canucks and the Edmonton Oilers, for whatever reason, like I think there's an argument to be made over the last couple of months that Ottawa's not the worst team in the division. And so, I don't know. Sorry, like, they're I, I, definitely I, the worst team in the division. Right? 
the way that they've played. But the Canucks didn't play for three weeks, and they never spent a day above them. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, that speaks like, to how, so how bad they were early on. I yeah. just think... Like, They're still bad. They're still bad. Okay, but they play damn hard. They play and, hard, yeah, no question. And so, I, like, I just saw a lot of noise last night, like, two down against the Leafs, and here comes the sweep of the Senators. It's going to be... I won't say impossible. I mean, they've beaten them five straight. So, but I, I, on balance, Tom, I don't expect the Vancouver Canucks to go nine and zero against Ottawa. I just don't. They need to. They need to win all four. I, I know we disagree on this a little bit, J. Pat, but I think like Dom's model has the Canucks needing all four to get to a forty-two percent chance. So, still less than coin flip odds if the Canucks are to, you know, um, are to sweep the the, the Senators here. Uh, I think they need that. I just think there's no margin here. The schedule gets way too crunchy thereafter. Like this next eight days, these games against Ottawa, you need at least seven of eight for me if you're going to have any chance of really being in the conversation. I I, I know Montreal is fading. I know you can, you know, hope that that continues, that they go 500 or below, that the playoff bar ends up lower than 60 points. Um, but I just think these games are the ones that the Canucks really need to have because once you get into those games against Calgary and Edmonton and Winnipeg and you're playing, you know, more than every other day, like that's where I just don't think you like you don't want to be in that spot. You need these you need these seven or eight points against Ottawa. They need points from all four games, in my view, if we're going to keep talking about their shot. But the fact that you are facing a team that you've beaten five times, right? That is the lowest team in terms of points in the division. Um, the fact that you're facing them with a chance to really get back in the conversation, to get, you know, to the fringes of a coin flip with the Canadians. I mean, considering where we were in mid-February, the idea that the Canucks could, with four wins over Ottawa, be neck and neck with Montreal in the playoff race. I mean, that is insane. That is a wild turn of events. Right. And, and, Look, I mean, how many pods did we do where we had essentially written them off when their playoff odds were at six percent? And so the very oh, fact I, I still I'm still I'm still on team they should have proceeded as if that was the case. Right, and but earlier. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying it's incredible that we're having this it conversation incredible. here this morning and are open to this idea now and the possibility. But it's never in isolation. Like the Canucks have to hold up their end of the bargain, but they still need help, and they're getting a ton of help. Uh, from the Montreal Canadiens, and just looking at the numbers, like anytime teams get under 20 games to go, for me, the math comes pretty simple, and you can start to look at it and say, okay, Montreal's sitting with 47 points as we record this right now. They got 13 games remaining. If they go 500, let's say they go 6-6-1, six, six, and one, they get 13 points in the remaining 13. That takes them to 60 points. So what would it take for the Vancouver Canucks to get to 60 points to match the Montreal Canadiens? They've got 17 games to go, the Canucks still have to go like 10, 6, and 1. They got to go four games above 500 at the very least. That would just right. get them to 60. And that's suggesting that Montreal plays 500. Now, I don't know if Montreal can play 500 the rest of the way, go, you know, given the way they've played here recently. But I'm saying that the Canucks, you know, two games out of the break here, that's great. They're a 500 hockey club. Over the course of the season to this point, they have to be four games above 500 from this point forward. And yes, they've got four in a row against Ottawa, but if you look at the schedule beyond the Senators, it's two in Toronto. Those aren't going to be easy. Followed by four straight against the Oilers, 
And then two against the Winnipeg Jets. So, you know, we talked about how the schedule picks up in the month of May. Like, there's an eight-game gauntlet there against the Leafs, four against the Oilers, and two against the Winnipeg Jets. And this is a Canuck team that's going to have to find ways to carve out victories in that eight-game stretch. Yeah, and that's why they need four, right? You can go 500 in those if Montreal goes 500 or worse if you beat Ottawa all four. Right? That's yep. why these games yep. are so crucial. Like, this is the Canucks season right here for me. Like, when I say the Canucks have, you know, somehow stumbled into an opportunity to play meaningful hockey, it's these four games I'm talking about. All right. So what you're saying is it's going to be a tight squeeze regardless. That uh, The Canucks don't have much margin for error. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Now, we mentioned earlier that the Canucks are doing this without Elias Pettersson. 9-3-1 in the 13 games since early March. Played the games against the Winnipeg Jets in Winnipeg, and that was the last we saw them. In fact, uh, the first game that Pedersen missed was a home game against the Toronto Maple Leafs, and they were able to win that one, and then they beat the Leafs the, the following game, and, and here they are 13 games later, and they've done it without EP40. Now, we heard Jim Benning last week say that he's continuing to see specialists, and there was some question about when or, in the words of the GM, if he would return, and that, I think, got a lot of people's attention. Uh, you had any better understanding of where Elias Pettersson is in all of this? And if it's pot, like if the Canucks stay in this, is it possible that they could re-inject their best forward into the lineup? We'll see. I mean, when you get to this level of uncertainty, you know, one thing I've seen an awful, awful lot is, um, you know, the, the, the efforts where you like do everything you can to avoid surgery Right, which can sometimes delay a return. I, I I don't know if this is the case. I mean, I know that it's a wrist injury. Obviously, it's serious. And sometimes, sometimes when you have uncertain sort of timelines like this, or, or things seem to move, it's because you're doing everything you can to avoid going under the knife. And that's also something that you're more likely to do if your team's unlikely to play meaningful hockey the rest of the way. You know what I mean? Like if you're a young player and you're looking at the rest of it, and there's a chance to avoid surgery. You know, maybe you try and do that because rushing back, like going under the knife and having a three week, four week timeline to return, you know, doesn't seem like a huge deal when there's a chance that you can avoid, you know, going under and and having a more invasive procedure. Like I've seen that happen. I've worked with players going through things like that, um, sort of going through those types of calculations. And you sort of wonder if, um, you know, that's sort of active in this case, but I don't have any hard information. That's just me reading the tea leaves based on my experience in this game and covering ailments. Um, that would be what I sort of wonder is going on. You know, I, I'm pretty sure that that's something that people are going to start running down really aggressively, myself included, in the days and weeks ahead here. Well, and, and you know, right now we just go off sort of what we've heard. And, and Jim Benning, while well, he said the thing about if he comes back, he also said he was skating, which... You know, if it's a wrist injury, yeah, like you'd want to keep your your cardio up, you get your legs yep. back under you, and like if he knew he was being shut down for the season, like he's a hockey player and there's boredom in COVID, like maybe he's just going for a skate for something to do. But but I would read that as this is Elias Pettersson doing 
you know, all he can at this stage with the hope of getting back to help the hockey team. Oh, and I have no doubt about that, right? Like, this is a super competitive guy, right? Like, I don't think yeah. there's oh. any doubt about that. But I do wonder if there were other options that sort of delayed it. And, and I wouldn't be shocked if the club's positioning impacted some of those decisions. And, and that's completely natural and normal. So, you know, that's that would be my that would be my guess. That's what I'm suspecting based on what we're hearing, based on the lack of information, based on the information that I have received at times, um, although none of it's super recent. But that would be my read on this situation, is that probably they were doing everything they could to avoid a surgical procedure. Um, you know, and I don't know that one's necessary. That's just with that's just when you talk about seeing specialists and and all the language that's been used. That's that's how it smells to me. Um, and whether or not my sniff test is right, like whether or not there's a news truffle underneath that, uh, that I can't speak to, but I'll, I'll be working it. You can, you can rest assured of that, uh, this week. Well, you know, the other sort of offshoot here is 17 games to go. And I think when they started up out of COVID, you know, I had this curiosity about what were they going to look like, but I had those low expectations where I'd said five wins out of 19 felt like it would have been achievable, but not a whole lot more than that. Now they've got two, and and with the tough schedule ahead, it's going to be a grind. But, and and look, we've both watched this team here in recent years, the Willie D years, early Travis Green years, where, you know, the playoffs were done. They were they, they mathematically eliminated, essentially, with 17 games to go. So nobody wants to relive that. Nobody wants to go through a death march. Uh, and they have played themselves back into this conversation and, and meaningful hockey, and I think it's going to engage the fan base. If there's a disappointment in any of that, it's that I thought if they didn't play particularly well coming out of COVID, then essentially the final games, however many they played, if they even completed all 56, would be this audition period where we would see them play the kids. And the longer they stay in this, the longer they're relevant – the less likely that is going to be the case. And and that part's a little unfortunate. We saw Cole Lynn take the warm-up the other night, uh, didn't play, didn't make his NHL debut. Jack Rathbone is up here, and, you know, he's here. So you'd like to see him get in, but uh, they're not going to squeeze a, a rookie who has barely played professional hockey uh, into their lineup just for the sake of seeing him in an NHL lineup. So that to me is a bit of the downside here. There may still come a point in time where they get that opportunity and these guys get a chance to play and make their NHL debuts. But the longer the Canucks are winning, uh, the longer we're all going to have to wait to see guys like Lyndon Rathbone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, then you're right. And that's not an insignificant downside for me, right? Like the ability to get DiPietro into a game, um, you know, on and on down the line. I mean, those those things are going to matter for this team significantly in the years ahead, especially in the years where they have a real shot, right? Not not just a shot to sneak into the playoffs and get hammered. Um, you know, I, I think the, I, I mean, I think that's regrettable, frankly. Like, I, think, I, I honestly think they should be trying to find and get some of those guys in the lineup anyway. But obviously you can't do that, especially with what this group's been through over the past four weeks and especially, you know, the bizarro, like this has got to be one of the most Canucks storylines of my lifetime, J-Pat, to be totally honest to you. Uh, the Canucks increase their playoff odds significantly over a three-week span in which they don't play. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, I'm sorry, there are certain things that make this market special, right? 
the fact that there's no way that would ever happen with any other club is among them, right? Like that, that's only the Canucks, only this team could find themselves in this spot. And hey, at the very least, the balance of the season, it will be fascinating. Yeah, and I saw a lot of noise on social last night, and, and I've got time for the, the discussion as well, is one that we have covered extensively here on the VanCast, and it hasn't gone away yet, and that is Travis Green's future. And if this plucky group of Vancouver Canucks can stay in the hunt and possibly overtake Montreal, but even if they don't end up making the playoffs, if they remain relevant here after all they've been through, like how does this organization not re-sign the head coach unless that decision has already been made and he is simply playing out the string here. Yeah, I mean, look, I, it's so hard to read the tea leaves right now with this it organization. Is. And I think things have changed even over the course of the past week. And I think maybe they'll change back again in the event that the Canucks have some success here, which is, of course, awful process. But, you know, one thing is, one thing is I don't think people quite understand uh, just how bizarre uh, the treatment of people in this club in within this organization has been over the course of this pandemic. And, you know, I suspect we'll see more of that uh, come to the surface in the, in the days and weeks ahead, especially with the interest around this team and the uh, people who are poking at this at the moment. But, you know, this, this one in particular stands out to me as being, um, you know, an absurdity, frankly, like it's an absurdity that they haven't, you know, come to an agreement or made a formal decision with green one way or the other, uh, similarly with Ian Clark and on down the line, you know, and and especially when you think about the Edler hit, the Hyman injury, right? It's like the Canucks were only using three PK defensemen in part because the guy who runs the PK, Nolan Baumgartner, like his next paycheck's going to be determined whether it's here or elsewhere in part on that PK percentage, right? Like what PK percentage does he put on a resume, right? The hieroglyph that he's able to present to future employers. And... As a result, you've got, you know, people who are focused narrowly in extraordinary circumstances where, you know, larger considerations, right? The Canucks' role as a steward in the NHL, um, you know, the development of young players, like all of these considerations that should be at least part of the calculus, they can't be for this coaching staff because they're all expiring, right? And it's just this complete pollution of incentives, uh, that just, you know, uh, spillover knockoff effects from the bizarre way that this club has done business throughout the pandemic. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right. Two in the books for the Vancouver Canucks. It's been a great story. Fan base does seem reinvigorated. Like if you, and that's not to be. Does it? I I don't know, man. Well, I think think mainstream Canucks fans are still um, a little bit tuned out. I think if you just, I don't know, based on my feeds as the games are going on, like I, again, it was a three week absence. There was no hockey. So even yeah. if it was crappy hockey, it beats the alternative of no hockey at all. 
And the, maybe it was the fact it was the Leafs. I think that's probably part of it too, right? Like people yeah. love dunking on the Leafs. So we'll that see if do. there's the same reaction against the Ottawa Senators. The storylines aren't as plentiful, but no, like I, I think people, you know, they see the math there. Like it's the path to the playoffs is in front of the Vancouver Canucks. It's just that it remains a, a pretty steep climb. I, I think we're going to see some pretty significant re-engagement from like those outside of the of the rump sort of hardcores, you know, in the event that the Canucks keep winning here over the course of the next week plus. But uh, but my sense of it still is that, you know, uh, th- you know, the volume that we hear when things are good early in the season, training camp. In the bubble last year, obviously, right? Last season throughout when the Canucks were so exciting. Uh, I don't think that's been matched much since mid-February. And and I, I don't I don't I didn't feel it really return yet. I I don't think it's really returned yet. I think there's a chance it could though, if they can keep winning over the next ten days. All right. But with every win here, I mean, you know, if they beat the Senators tomorrow, that's three in a row, and all of a sudden oh, yeah. now I think you, you call that. Yes. And and, and we talked about like imagine the storylines. If they get on this run. And all of a sudden, Elias Pettersson gets this green light to get back in. Like you talk about uh, reinvigorating the fan base. They'd be on board with that. So we'll see where it goes. Uh, they've got two at home against the Sens, Thursday and Saturday. And then you mentioned that cross-continent flight. And it, it always looked like even in the original schedule, you know, that was something that jumped out at me. Four straight against the Ottawa Senators uh, with a, a flight across the country in between. So uh, get ready. A steady diet of Brady Kachuk and the rest of the Ottawa Senators Uh, starting on Thursday. We'll be back on Friday with our next edition to wrap up the week, and we'll take stock of where the hockey club is by then. We'll see what the Montreal Canadiens have done in the meantime as well. If you're looking for other pod options, we always like to point out what is uh, under the athletic umbrella. Yarmo Kekalainen, the general manager of the Columbus Blue Jackets, joins Scott Burnside and Pierre Lebrun this week on the two-man advantage edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. Uh, Bright hockey mind always uh, has some insightful things to uh, present his team is struggling a little bit, but uh, probably worth a listen uh, to Yarmo Kaikalainen on the two-man advantage edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. And again, uh, we'll sit back. You know, it, it just in closing, too, we've talked about Holpe and how good he's been. You know, Travis Green spoke at length after the morning skate on Tuesday about how important it was, he thought in his mind, to give his players Monday off, right? We've talked mm-hmm. about the stack schedule. we talked about what they've come through. Remember, early in the season, a lack of practice time was considered one of the downfalls for the Vancouver Canucks. The circumstances are different here, but Wednesday Wednesday's a full day off as well. For a guy like Thatcher Demko, like I wonder how quickly can he get back up to game speed? He was the backup, so he was ready, I suppose, if forced into action. But, you know, game day skates are one thing. Full practice for a goaltender to get through the, you know, to get the rhythm back. Like I wonder if it's a day off for him or if he's doing some work with Ian Clark. I, I would bet he. I would bet it's not. And here's here's the tell. In my view, the Leafs practiced at. Uh, they did their media availabilities on Monday at two thirty p.m. local time. That means they had late ice, right? Yeah. That means the Canucks used early ice. Home team always uses early ice. That's the tell for me that at least some. At least some Canucks hit the ice on Monday, and I'm sure that's true again today. Gotcha. All right. Well, certainly we'll like yeah you know, we'll we'll watch Thatcher Demko, but I would assume it's going to be Braden Holpe again. Why would uh, you mess with the formula? He's in a little bit of a groove here, coming off the COVID yeah. break, and he's yeah, been, and he deserves a chance to ride it out, like yeah, with what no, he's I'm been through this year. I'm with you. So I would assume that it's going to be 
Uh, Braden Holpe won the Canucks. In, in, in the impressive first- guy, right? Like just an impressive oh. guy. It's good to see him find his game and 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 have a chance anyway to flip the narrative of what could have been a really miserable first year in Vancouver. He's really got a chance to to change that storyline around himself, and you you just got to feel good for a well spoken, intelligent, you know, by all accounts, class individual um, to get that kind of an opportunity. Yeah, I mean that's been one of the downsides of not having you know access to the players in the locker room the way we normally you just can't build a rapport with these guys over Zoom. And Holpe seems like the kind of guy that you you'd like to get to know uh, with his interests off the ice and, and the way that he's playing here on the ice. But uh, uh, he's around. Well, we think he's under contract for next year. Whether he's around, that's another story, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, and maybe maybe he'll <laughs> change the storylines there with his performance down the stretch here with however many starts he gets of the remaining 17 games for the Vancouver Canucks. Check out our comment section for each podcast episode at the Athletic app. Rate and subscribe to the VanCast on Apple. And if you're not already a subscriber, go to theathletic.com slash VanCast and receive a subscription for just $3.99 per month. Wyatt was back with a terrific edition of the Armies. I know that uh, you wrote another column coming out of the game itself, so lots of fresh content up now at the Athletic Vancouver. Check it out. For transfers, Jay Pat, as always, thanks so much for your support of the Vancast here at The Athletic and theathletic.com.